Philippians chapter 3, verses 1 through 11. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church, as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. What do you have faith in? I know that's kind of a loaded question, but it's really perhaps the most important question we could answer. Today we're going to talk about faith. Faith is defined as complete trust or confidence in something or someone. So think about it. What do you have faith in? Let's start kind of small or basic as you really begin to ponder this question. I think we have faith in a lot of things. We have faith that when we turn the sink on, water's going to come out. We have faith that when we put the key in the car and we turn it, the engine will start. We have faith that when we flip the switch on the wall, the light will turn on. If you don't believe me, just remember the last time the lights in your house went out for an extended period of time. How many times did you still reach over and flip the switch on the wall? I do it every time, multiple times, because I'm so used to the lights coming on when I flip the switch. I have put faith in that light switch even when the power is out. We have faith in a lot of things. If we have our paycheck set up for direct deposit, we have faith that our paycheck will be in that, our account every month. We have faith that if we put the right ingredients and the right amount of ingredients in the oven on the right temperature for the right amount of time, a delicious pound cake will come out. Again, we have faith in many things. What are some things that you have faith in? As you continue to think about that question, we're moving right along in our study of Philippians. We're beginning chapter 3. Paul ended chapter 2 with details about some travel plans for himself and two others, Timothy and Epaphroditus. And after talking about his desire to send back Epaphroditus, one of the members of the Philippian church who had come to take care of Paul while he was in prison, Paul then writes, Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. 
For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by His Spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. Paul again is reminding his readers and us to rejoice. That has been a consistent theme throughout Philippians, and we really see it throughout Paul's letters in the New Testament. He encourages us to rejoice or to have joy in all circumstances, in all things. As he writes in verse 1, rejoice in the Lord. We don't rejoice in our circumstances or situations around us. We rejoice in the Lord. And because the Lord doesn't change but remains the same, we can rejoice no matter what's happening around us. I think that's such an important reminder for us today. Here we are surrounded by uncertainty. We're surrounded by new information all the time. We have a virus that's affecting people in all kinds of ways of all ages. We have all kinds of theories and speculation running wild. And with all this going around, it can be hard to have joy. Frankly, it can make many of us depressed and down. But Paul's reminding us to rejoice in the Lord. And this is coming from someone who's in prison. His outward circumstances aren't good. They aren't something to rejoice in. Yet Paul still has joy because his joy comes from the Lord. And that's where our joy comes from as well. So rejoice in the Lord. Paul then goes on to gently remind the Philippians that what he's about to say, he has already told them before. But Paul doesn't have a problem saying it again because it's important. And so with a different tone than he has spoken in the rest of the letter, Paul harshly addresses outsiders who are bringing in a false teaching. These legalists were coming in and trying to convince people that in order to become a Christian, they had to first become a Jew. Paul labels them as dogs, evildoers, and mutilators of the flesh. Now, I know we have a lot of uh, animal lovers and dog lovers, and so when you hear the word dog, you pr probably smile, you have warm, fuzzy feelings in your tummy. But the term dogs in our passage is actually a derogatory word that Jews would use for Gentiles. By calling the Jewish legalists this term, Paul was saying a lot. Dogs in this day were wild scavengers. They were not pets. They prowled around the city without a home or an owner feeding on the filth and trash of the streets, fighting each other for food and attacking those who passed by. Paul did not have warm, fuzzy feelings in his tummy when he uses the term dogs in our passage. Paul also calls them mutilators of the flesh, and the idea or word flesh will carry throughout the next section of our scripture, but Paul was making a particular point with this phrase. The legalists were requiring circumcision for Gentiles who wanted to become Christians. Again, they were requiring people to become Jewish in order to become Christian. And as we'll see, Paul flatly refutes this idea. You see, Paul's reminding us not to be fooled by people who tell us we have to do outward works to earn our faith. We rely on Christ's work, Christ's act on the cross. It's not about what you or I do. The faith or confidence we have is not in us. Our faith is in God and Christ's sacrifice on the cross. 
So Paul is reminding us to put our confidence in God and not in our own effort. And as an example of putting trust and faith in God rather than ourselves, Paul uses himself as an example. If there was anyone who could boast about being a Jew, it was Paul. If there was anyone who could boast about what they had done, it was Paul. He writes, Though I myself have reasons for such confidence, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. Paul uses his life as an example and an illustration. He lays out his accomplishments and basically says, If anyone deserves to place faith in themselves over their faith in God, I do. If anyone deserves it, I do. Now here's the thing. As we read these verses and Paul's list of titles and accomplishments, we probably aren't that impressed. We're so far removed from this time and their culture that these accolades don't mean a whole lot to us. But to Paul's audience and those members in Philippi, they would have realized that Paul had done everything right, according to the legalist. In reality, Paul, because of his credentials and experience, had every right to expect and demand the same things these legalists were demanding. Paul was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He had all the titles and experience. He had indeed done everything right. So it begs me to ask this question. What are you proud of? What do you feel is your greatest accomplishment to date? What have you done that you feel defines who you are? To ask it another way, if you gave yourself trophies for all the good things you've done, what would your trophies be? Maybe you graduated in the top of your class in high school or college. Maybe you're a great athlete in school. Maybe you scored a sweet promotion or you chaired an important committee. Perhaps you were given a raise or bought the house or car of your dreams. This thing can be almost anything. It can even be spiritual things like reading your Bible in a year or praying every day or journaling every day. Your trophies can be anything you want it to be. It can be anything you make your identity. I want you to make a mental list of these trophies. Maybe it's just one or maybe it's several of them. Now listen to Paul as he tells you how he feels about his accomplishments and trophies. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Paul totally flips the switch here. Paul says that out of all of his accomplishments, all his titles and trophies, that all, he considers them a loss for the sake of Christ. He says there's nothing worth more than the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. And not only does he consider his former Jewish faith and heritage titles and accomplishment a loss, Paul considers 
everything a loss compared to the privilege of knowing Christ as his Lord. He goes a little bit further and calls everything garbage. And really the word Paul uses there is much stronger than our English word garbage or trash. Paul literally is saying that everything else he has gained in this life is dung. Worthless and offensive compared to Jesus. And so what Paul is saying is for us to find our identity, our worth and value in anything else but Christ is utterly offensive and worthless. Paul uses some strong language here, but frankly, I think it's needed. I think too often many of us find our identity and worth and value in things other than Jesus. We find our identity and worth and value in a political party. Maybe we find our identity in being a fan of a sports team. I know I'm getting to meddling here, but I'm just getting started. Too often we find our identity in playing a particular sport. Or maybe we find our identity in being a parent of a child who plays a particular sport. I'm really glad there's a screen protecting me right now. Some of you just left our Facebook feed. But I think it's a word some of us need to hear. And to continue being an equal opportunity offender here, some of us find our identity in the clothes we wear, the brands we buy, or the friends we have. Our identity is found in our weekend activities or the drinks we like to share. Too often, our worth and value and identity are wrapped up in the things other than Jesus. And that just can't be. Jesus is where we find our identity. Jesus is who gives us worth and value. Everything else is really trash compared to Jesus. Listen to how Paul goes on. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in Him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings, becoming like Him in His death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You see, Paul finds his identity in Christ, not in what he does or what he has accomplished. He finds his value in Christ, not in what others say about him or how he feels about himself. Paul's identity is found in Christ and in Christ alone. And Paul knew that he, he couldn't be made right with God on his own. Paul did not have righteousness, right living, right standing with God by anything Paul had done or could do. Paul knew that the only way he or I or you could be made right with God was by trusting and putting our faith in Christ and what Christ did on the cross for each of us. Listen, if you're out there today and you're trying to simply be a good person, if you're trying to work your way to heaven or to salvation, you are never going to get there. We cannot work our way to salvation Life is not simply about being a good person or doing good things. Surely, as a Christ follower, we want to be and do those things. But being a good person and doing such things isn't 
overflow of trusting and putting our faith in Christ to work for us on the cross. Those things are a response to what Christ has already done for us. So stop trusting in yourself or your work or your title or your position to get you to a place of right standing with God. That can only come by putting your faith in what God has already done for you through Jesus on the cross. All those other things are trash, offensive and worthless compared to knowing Jesus. That is what we see and hear Paul telling us this morning. And the cry of Paul's heart was to truly know Christ, all of Christ, even his sufferings and his death. You see, I think the church in many places has been sold a lie and we are paying dearly for it today. Many of us have bought into the lie that following Christ is just all roses and smooth sailing. Once we say yes to Jesus and put our faith and trust in Him, everything will be easy. We won't have any difficulty, difficulties. We won't suffer. And if we do, then we must, be, we must not have enough faith. We must be lacking faith if we experience a tough moment in life. But the truth is that Jesus never promised that a life in Him would be smooth sailing. In fact, Jesus told us that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart. I have overcome the world. You see, to know Christ like Paul talks about, to put your whole trust and faith in Christ, means that we will also know suffering. We will know suffering because Christ knew suffering. But just like we will know suffering because Christ knew suffering, we will also know resurrection and new life because Christ knew resurrection and new life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. And so take heart. Though we will experience trials and difficulties and troubles when we follow Christ, take heart because Christ has overcome the world. He's conquered it all, everything. And so what Paul knows and what Paul wants us to know is that anything and everything he has accomplished all his titles and accolades, they are nothing compared to what Christ has done for him, for you, for me. Paul's greatest accomplishments were worth nothing to him once he understood the worth of his faith in God. And it's my hope that you and I would feel the same. That once we put our faith in Christ and truly know Christ and all that God has done for us through Christ, we will realize that all our titles, all our accomplishments, all our prizes and trophies are worth nothing compared to knowing Jesus. So before I leave you today, I want you to think about those trophies. Those trophies I asked you to think about earlier. Think about all your accomplishments and, and titles. All the things you base your identity off of. Here's the thing. In order for us to fully lean into our faith in Christ, or to begin putting our faith in Christ for the very first time, we have to get rid of the things we hold dear to us. Paul called these trophies dung, garbage, trash. Are you willing to throw your 
trophies in the trash? Are you willing to throw everything you hold dear for the sake of Christ? I know that's a big ask. I know it is. But if we are holding on to something that is keeping us from fully holding on to Jesus, we have to let it go. We have to throw it away. We have to realize it is garbage compared to knowing Christ and being found in Him. Listen, the greatest identity we have is being a child of God. It is being loved by God the Father. So let go of anything that is keeping you from holding on to Him. Remember, I love you. But more importantly, God loves you. Amen.